Hey, Spotlighters, Mike Cam here, the coolest guy in title insurance and your host of the Morning Spotlight Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. We have a great guest that I know is going to absolutely blow you away. If you like what you hear, please smash that subscribe button and leave us a review. And remember, when it's time for you to purchase title insurance, there's only one guy you should be calling, and that's me. Check the show notes for my email address. And let's get this train rolling and start the show right now. This is Larry Roberts, host of the Readily Random Podcast, and you're listening to The Morning Spotlight with Mike Ham. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cam, coming to you as always from the Spotlight Studios here in Morristown, New Jersey. My guest today is a high energy and charismatic podcaster, speaker, Amazon bestselling author and top rated Udemy course creator. I hope I said Udemy right. He has been in coaching and facilitator roles for more than 25 years. His podcast, Readily Random, features a random selection of savvy and insightful interviews with entrepreneurs, authors, athletes, podcasters, and more. He is someone I truly admire in the podcasting profession. He is Larry Roberts. Larry, welcome to the show. What is happening, Mike? Thank you so much for having me on the show, man. This is an honor. I mean, honor is mine. I mean, so I've mentioned this in some clubhouse rooms. So there's our first clubhouse mention of the episode. Um, is this a drinking game? Are we are we doing it as a drinking game? We yeah, we can <laughs> if you want. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've mentioned it before. So when I when I first started the morning spotlight, I did not listen to podcasts. I had never listened to podcasts ever. Which hindsight, knowing the quality of my first few episodes probably should have, you know? Um, and then really didn't listen to them up until I started with the PodMax stuff. And then once I got involved with PodMax and I started listening to those guys and readily random and some of the other shows that people that frequent that, uh, that event do, um, your episodes, I just listen to as often as I possibly can, because when I listen to you take an interview from start to finish, it's literally like goals, I think for, for someone like me, like I, when I try to craft an interview similar to how you do your stuff. So there's a wow. little nice little plug for you. Well, man, I, I, I'm seeing it. Actually, that made me kind of sweat a little bit. That is so, uh, I, you know, I, I'm one of those types. I have a hard time taking compliments, yeah. but man, I appreciate it so much. That is so great to hear, to get that kind of feedback yeah. from someone that's just a, a an average podcast listener. I mean, that's where you were when you started listening to the show. Yeah. So to have that kind of genuine, unique feedback, it means the world. So thank you very, very much. No, of course, you know, and we're not going to, it's not going to stay too lovey-dovey as we get through the rest of this episode. Yeah, I mean, I'm ready to hug right now. <laughs> I mean, it is like, oh man, thanks yeah. Mike. Oh yeah, virtual hug. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, I mean, I, I think that like when I started the show, uh, the show started back in May, just a LinkedIn video series, very scripted. Everything was like, I would read three questions. You as the guest would basically read your three answers. So as you can imagine, the show was electric. Um, then we transitioned it into what it is now. And I would start trying to do like Google docs and, and prepare questions and, and everything. And then I was just like, I, I talk to people all the time for work. Like, why am I trying to force feed questions into my mouth and not listen to what the people have to say? But then like, and again, when I started listening to more of other podcasters, including yourself, I was like, oh, they're actually like 
listening to what the guest has to say and building questions off of that. And you can kind of see how the story gets put together from the beginning to the end of the show. So there you go. I mean, if anybody doesn't listen to Readily Random and you listen to the Morning Spotlight, good, because you would know that half the stuff that I do, I copy from Larry anyway. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's cool though. I mean, you know, and and it's 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 the way it's this way with anything, especially that's a creative process. Uh, you know, I started the same way. My first podcast was a comedy podcast, and was just me and a co-host telling you know locker room type jokes and having random guests even then that would kind of fit into that jokey jokey um, niche, or if you would. Uh, and, and it was great. It was it was fun, and it did really really well. We ended up taking it live. We turned it into a stage show. From there, it turned into an open mic, and even today, the open mic that was spawned from that particular podcast live show uh, is still one of the biggest open mics in Dallas Fort Worth really? to this day. So yeah. I mean, that's something I like to kind of you know wear a little <laughs> little pride in, you know. Yeah, but right. the thing is it didn't really teach me a whole lot about what podcasting really was and how to conduct uh, per se an interview. You know, it's easy to sit with one of your best friends and just shoot the breeze and yeah. just, you know, talk like you're talking when you're hanging out at Hooters or whatever your favorite wing spot is. But to actually try to create something that has value to it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Laughter. There's a lot of value. I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts. I love them. It's my favorite actually. Right. But if you want to create something that gives back, that does more than just has someone chuckling at the same joke they probably heard or a variation on a theme that they've already heard umpteen times, then there is definitely a technique to it. And I did the same thing, man. I, I When I first started off, you know, there's uh, everybody in the podcasting space has heard of John Lee Dumas. And JLD is, you know, he goes by JLD. That's his moniker. And his podcasts are all the same. They are the same questions, or at least they were back in the day. I haven't listened to it in a long time. But back in the day, they were all the exact same questions, exact same format. Everything was planned out. Everything was it was just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. So I thought, well, this dude's crushing it because, of course, he's putting his money, you know, the money that he's making off of his podcast. He's displaying it on his Web page. So I'm like, if this dude's bringing down six figures doing this, oh, Lair can do it, too. So yeah. I did the same thing, man. I planned it all out. I had the same questions, similar questions. I mean, I had the same questions from episode to episode, but I structured it around what I had seen laid out by JLD. And it was uh, JL dull is what it was. It was freaking horrible, dude. Yeah. It was horrible. And the more I realized that that's really not, I, I don't know what, anybody that would want to listen to that. Right. At least coming from me, it works for JLD or it worked for JLD back in the day. But coming from me, that's not me. Yeah. You know, I like to have a conversation. I like to have an exchange of words. I like to feed off of whoever it is I'm talking to and let them feed off of my responses. And to me, that made for a much more dynamic and engaging episode of whatever the podcast was. And I, I think we all see that. And whether we're artists or whether we're podcasters or whatever it is that we're creating, we start off very rudimentary, right? And we build on those basics and we realize, oh, that didn't work. So let me try this and let me try this and let me add this to my repertoire. Right. Then eventually we find ourselves in a position where we're putting out some fairly decent content. And then over time, it even gets better and better and better. And, uh, uh, you know, to this day, I still have a coach. I have I, I meet with my coach three times a month. Yep. 
So it's right. it's just something that you have to do. If you want to improve, you have to invest on getting better. Yeah. And it's it's just part of the process. Right. And we're we're definitely going to get into more into the podcasting stuff here in a little bit, but the one thing I was listening to you on Kristen Olson's Turmeric and Tequila show. Uh, Kristen's been on the show. I've been on, I've also been on Turmeric and Tequila myself. Um, and I did not know up until that point. I mean, I had known you just from PodMax. We never really like had a full conversation before that you're a karate guy. Um, <laughs> never knew that. And I, yeah, to man. be just straight up honest, once I met you, I was like, there's no way this guy's a karate guy, but <laughs> you are. Um, so I guess like first question right out of the gate, given my ample experience in karate, Johnny Lawrence or Daniel LaRusso in the reboot, who, who did you like better in the reboot Cobra Kai? Just as like, oh, a I love Johnny better. I mean, exactly. Johnny the character yeah. was tremendous. I tremendous. mean, he made the show for me. I yeah. mean, he was the one that, you know, gave me all those, those, those retro chills and those retro vibes where I look back and go, Oh man, that was so great. 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 That was so awesome. Yeah. And then even to see the other guys from Cobra Kai, you know, make their appearances over time. Cause yeah. he, you know, you had a couple of the, a couple of the mainstays from the uh, the original flick that made appearances over the, over the series, and man, it's just tremendous. Yeah, but yeah, Johnny definitely, definitely. I mean, honestly, Daniel Russo kind of came off like a jerk throughout. I mean, at least in my opinion, throughout Mine that too. entire series, like he just He's never wanted Johnny to be yeah pretentious. <laughs> never wanted Johnny to succeed. I mean, Mr. Miyagi would be very upset with Daniel yes. Russo. I think personally. Well, I think he just got big. He got a little too big for his little LaRusso britches with his car dealership and everything. Right. Started making money. Money changes people, brother. Money changes you know? people. That's, that's and for sure. I think it changed old Miyagi-Do karate for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but what's, what's the the new one? Is uh, Eagle Fang? Eagle something? Eagle Fang? So. Yeah. yeah, that's Johnny's new one is Eagle Fang. And, uh, him and him and Daniel Son have now teamed up. And right. I'm not gonna lie, man. When they when they were in the backyard at the end of the you know the season finale and they gave each other that bow, I was like, oh yeah, man, man, this is so good. Right, like you could see it. You could see. It. I mean, spoiler alert. Sorry for anybody. That yeah, hasn't sorry. Seen it, it's been but, out for a while now. Yeah, right. So you should have seen it already. But I mean, you could uh, to me, you could see that coming like from a mile away. But then when it still happened, it was amazing like this is the coolest most jacked up i've been at the end of a season of any show in a long time like just the music and just like everything oh my god it was it was unbelievable but even my wife got a little emotional and she's like this show is so stupid you know because <laughs> i mean honestly the, the 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 newer uh members of miyagi do and, and cobra kai and all that's a little hard to watch because the acting's a little not all that great yeah but it's for for those in our age bracket the nostalgia that's there is so tremendous it just you know, it's it's just fun, and even yeah. my wife, she's like, "This is the greatest thing ever." So. Yeah. yeah, no, it was it was incredible. But uh, but tell me how you got started in karate. Like, what? Why? Why karate? I mean, like Texas does not seem like Texas. You play football, right? Oh man, you don't do Texas, karate in you, Texas. You definitely play football in Texas, but Texas is also known in the karate circles as one of the toughest states there is for old school hardcore karate guys. Yeah. And, you know, growing up, I was always, believe it or not, if you're looking at me now, uh, I was always very, very skinny, very, very frail. I was born with a birth defect that left me. It's called, um, what's it called? The surgery is called a pectus excavatum. I was born with an inverted sternum. So my sternum was growing in while everything else was growing out. Mm -hmm. So I had to have reconstructive surgery to even survive past the age of four. So I was always very coddled, very babied, very sheltered, sent to private school. 
And there was always this, this thing in my head going, man, my dad, my stepdad, pretty violent guy. Didn't really care for the guy too much. So always dreamed of whooping his backside as well. And karate just seemed a way to, 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 to answer all of life's problems. Now, understand, too, around 1981, 1982, the ninja craze took over. And, man, the ninja movies came out, and I just knew, wow, I want to be a freaking ninja. This is the coolest. Now, I'm 10, so it, it's okay right. for me to think this, okay? Yeah. So, <laughs> this is not recent. So. No, no, this wasn't last week or anything. I was 10. So <laughs> so ninjas became everything, man. And I uh, so was just... My room was covered in ninja posters and they wouldn't let me have the weapons because my dad probably figured I was going to hit him with one or something. But, uh, you know, it, the thing is, I just loved it and I ate it up and I fought a lot uh, as a kid. I grew up in a trailer park. So there was this dichotomy of going to a private school, but living in a trailer park as well. And not even, we didn't even have a double wide. Okay. It was just the metal trailer. Yeah. So, <laughs> so my grandmother paid for me to go to private school. That's how I ended up there. And there was a reason for that. Again, it's because of the birth defect and the protection and all that, blah, blah, blah. But I always wanted to be seen as one of the guys, one of the tough guys and being, you know, even when I competed, uh, back in the nineties, I was still a buck 55. So I'm six foot three buck 55. And, you know, I fought MMA when MMA first started getting popular in the States back in 93 is when the first UFC was, and I probably started fighting MMA here in Texas in around 95. So you've got this six foot three, 155 pound guy running around in a pair of underwear in the ring. And <laughs> it doesn't make for the ma most masculine look, right? But I would win. So of, I'm it, sure it was, a lot of knees and elbows flying around. Oh yeah. Know, I mean, I had advantage over the giraffe kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But you know, it gave the regular 155ers a, a really tough look. Cause you got this guy that's a good, sometimes foot taller than the guy that I'm fighting. So, yeah. you know, there were certain advantages as well, but a lot of disadvantages too. But anyways, uh, the whole thing was, I just wanted to be the tough guy and karate just seemed to answer all those, all those problems or solve all those problems. And so every chance I get, I, I, I would train and, and I would take karate. And although my parents wouldn't pay for me to take karate for long, I had bursts of training and not training, training and not training. And then in high school, I started training pretty good, pretty solid, pretty consistently, uh, played basketball in high school too, but karate was still just everything to me. And then uh, in my early 20s, I eventually opened my own karate school and uh, had that for a while. One of, that was my first business venture, actually. Uh, it didn't work out very well, but uh, I made about $2,000 that year. What was the name of the karate school? It was Phil Berthoff's American Kempo Karate. Phil Berthoff was my instructor at the time, okay. and rest in peace. Now, yeah. he and I, we went in together, and we opened another school. We had a very, very small school that was uh, it was an American Kempo Karate school, yep. but we wanted to go bigger. We wanted to get large, so we found a warehouse space, and we built a, a, a training facility, per se, in the warehouse space. Now, the thing is, in Texas, it gets hot during the summer. In the winter, it can get really cold as well. So we very rarely found ourselves training in an environment that was conducive to kind of hanging out for extended periods of time. And unless you were a hardcore karate guy that was really wanting to fight, because that was where I was, I wanted to be a fighter and I wanted everybody to fight and we wanted to be hardcore. Now, Mr. Berthoff on the opposite side of the spectrum, though, was very technical and very Kenpo related. He wanted to make sure that he's just passing on the Kenpo lineage to the students that are up coming up. 
And, you know, I was beyond all that. I was, you know, again, that shit don't work. Sorry if I can't cuss. <laughs> but right. um, it's okay. that, that karate <laughs> stuff, that don't work. You need to be able to do Muay Thai and you need to be able to do some wrestling and some Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I was cross-training. He was still holding on to the old school ways. And at the same time, we had a facility that just didn't was not conducive to the public training with us on a consistent basis. So that didn't work very well. Right. But so from there, I went on to teach karate at different schools, uh, and uh, it, it did that for probably the next three or four years. Was was teaching karate, but not at my school, at other schools. Right. And uh, and that was awesome. So yeah. and then spent time competing and hanging out and um, did very well kickboxing wise. My stand up game was always on point. My ground game always needed a little work. Uh, we just didn't have the schools in where I'm from. I'm from Sherman, Texas, and we didn't really have any kind of Brazilian jiu-jitsu or wrestling schools in the area at the time. It was still so new that uh, the only way for me to really train on the ground would be to go to Dallas or go to Houston. And we would fly to Houston once a month and train and learn a little bit, but you just can't get that proficient so, uh, you right. know, with, with that limited training. Yeah. So no matter what you're doing, you, you got to be able to submerge yourself in it. And I, you know, you're, you're, you, you were a coach, right? Were you a baseball coach? Baseball coach. Yep. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. you're doing it yeah. once, I mean, if you're training or doing anything, like you said, podcasting once a month, like you're not yeah. going to get a ton better just like it's with anything. The more you do it, the more frequently you do it at like as the highest level as you possibly can, you know, just the better you get at it. So I totally agree with that from, from just from a baseball side too. Yeah. 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 So, uh, it, th that's what it ended up being. And eventually it kind of ran its course and I got older and realized that my pipe dream of being a professional fighter really wasn't going to come to fruition. A lot of it had to do with, uh, well, the, the money, the training, and also the fact that I only have 60% lung capacity of the normal uh, individual. Right. So no matter how hard I trained, I'm still not going to be on the level that these guys are on. There's just no way it's physically freaking impossible. Yeah. And that came to light. And, you know, I talk about, I've got a new podcast that I'm getting ready to launch and it's all about quitting. And it's taking a look at quitting from a variety of perspectives. One is, is quitting certain things in life that had an impact in your life. You know, did you quit smoking? Did you quit drinking? Did you quit? Was there something that you were doing that you quit that had an impact on your life? And also we'll take a look at it from an entrepreneurial perspective and go, when you quit your job, you know, how did the entrepreneurial transition work out? So I'm kind of combining the word, the, the, the two perspectives of quitting. And I, I quit training the day that I backed out of a fight. And I, I, I've only shared this a couple of times, but I, the, there comes a time in your life where you realize, man, it's just not going to work. One of my teammates, he'd already gone to the UFC, Pete Spratt. He was Pete the Secret Weapon Spratt. He went to UFC 37.5. He fought Robbie Lawler. First guy to ever give Robbie Lawler a loss. I mean, and, and we have the same tattoos, guys. I mean, we're on the same team. It's really cool. So, <laughs> but he's doing all this cool stuff, man. And, you know, he's at the big show. And here's Lair still just kind of just kind of holding on, just kind of grasping on. And I had the opportunity to fight in a regional promotion. And I went down to Houston to get ready for the fight because the fight was in Louisiana. And I'm down there rolling with Eve Edwards. If you're ever familiar with MMA, you've probably heard of Eve Edwards. He was one of the greatest lightweights in UFC history before they had a title. So he never did fight for the title, but he was before then. Uh, and he and I were rolling. And that just means wrestling for those of you that aren't uh, up to snuff on the terminology. And uh, Saul Solis, a trainer of some of the greatest champions, even to this day in UFC, he was the trainer of Tito Ortiz. Everybody's heard of Tito Ortiz. He was Eve's trainer and Pete's trainer, and I'm down there rolling with Eve's. And he walks by. He goes, "Hey, bro, um, this is the night before the, the this is the day before the fight. Hey, bro, your cardio looks a little suspect. 
And I'm like, you would think that those few little words wouldn't have an impact, but already in my head, I already know I have 60% lung capacity. I already know of the guy that I'm fighting. I see he doesn't get tired. I know he's not going to get tired in the cage, so I'm not going to have that to my advantage. And then Saul Solis, a god to me at the time, walks by and says, hey, bro, your cardio is a little suspect. And I'm like, it just destroyed me inside. That shows kind of how mentally weak I was at the time, especially when it came to cardio. That was my biggest fear. Right. You know? So what happens? I got sick. I pulled out of the fight. I didn't fight. Wasn't my first fight. Wouldn't have been my first loss. Right. But I let that moment control what I decided to do. And I quit. And I haven't trained since. I didn't train. I haven't fought. I stayed in, in, in touch with the game. I would corner guys. I would work corners and do a little bit of coaching on the side. Yeah. But I personally walked away completely from that, from, from everything right then that day. Yeah. And I quit. And Mike, I got to tell you, it's one of the biggest regrets I have in my life because I quit. And that had such a traumatic impact for years. Not long after that, I start partying hardcore. You know, you're going, oh, we've heard this story before. Well, it's, it's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, great. thankfully, I met my wife during this time. But <laughs> how we stayed married during this time is very questionable. But we're yeah. here today, 20 some odd years later. Right. So, but the thing is, man, that day, that me quitting that day had such a tremendous impact. It sent me down a road of partying. I eventually became an alcoholic. Seven years ago, I ended up going to rehab. Uh, thankfully, I quit drinking as well. So there's another, there's a positive side of quitting. Right. So today I don't drink. I found podcasting. I found you. And now here I am on your podcast. But it kind of goes to what I was saying was, you know, I got off on that path because you said, how'd you get started in karate? Right. Well, karate was life to me. Yeah. And eventually I, I did get to a position where this is how great my stable my family was. Uh, I did end up kicking the crap out of my stepdad. And we did have a scrap one day and I did end up on top. And from that day forward, things were different. Right. Which was great. Uh, I ended up, (laughs) believe it or not, also ended up fighting my real dad one day, but he was a drunk and he and I never really had a relationship. But out of the blue, when I had my own karate school one night, he calls me up. He goes, hey, hey, boy, you up at that karate school? And that's how he talks because he's very Texan. I mean, he's as Texan as it gets. Sounds very Texan, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Very Texan. What what was that show, Bonanza, that had, what was it, Little John or, or, you know, the big Hoss, Little Hoss? Yeah. Wasn't that his name, Hoss? I think that's Bonanza. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it was Bonanza. Well, he had, in big letters on the back of his pick-em-up truck, he (laughs) he had Little Hoss. That, that's how Texan my yeah. biological father was. All right. So I, I wouldn't be seen in public with him regardless. So, but anyways, you know, we, we, he lived with my grandma. So we would, we would interact in that regard, but he calls me up. He's drunk. Hey boy, you up at that karate school. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm always here. And he goes, well, I'm gonna come up there and I'm gonna show you how to fight. I'm like, what? So anyways, long story short, he comes up to my karate school and we uh, throw down and he brings his boss with him as a witness because he wants his boss and his boss was a student of mine at the time. So he wants old Steve Perkins to see that he's going to whoop his boy's backside and show him what real fighting is all about. And Perkins pulled me to the side before we ended up scrapping. He goes, Hey man, I'm just going to ask you to do me a favor. Don't, don't hit him in the face. Yeah. I said, man, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to hit him in the face. I promise. But uh, the thing was we had our exchange. I didn't hit him in the face, but uh, yeah. So karate was my answer to everything back in the yeah. day. If right. I couldn't fix it with violence, 
it couldn't be fixed. And then when that came to a head and that stopped for, and, and, and that reality, uh, that, that moment of, of realizing that that wasn't going to answer all my problems, that wasn't my ticket to the big time, that wasn't my ticket to respect and admiration from all of my peers, it, it left me stranded, man. I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? Right. Where am I going to go? Yeah. And again, I turned to alcohol and eventually over the span of 12 to 15 years, I became hardcore alcoholic and, and I guess about 12 years. Yeah. Became a hardcore alcoholic and almost died. Honestly. I mean, yeah. the day that I ended up in rehab, I, I was out of work already for a couple of weeks. I had been calling in sick to work and uh, there was just this epiphany moment, bro, where something, something said, Hey, if you don't go call somebody right now, you're not going to see tomorrow. Yeah. I hadn't had any food. I hadn't had anything. All I'd had for days was alcohol, just hardcore, just throwing gin shots back, brother. And I, again, I don't know how I had that moment of clarity, but I'm thankful that I did. Right. So uh, quitting has, uh, it, it has its effects that can actually kind of pivot and, and, and turn into a positive for you. Yeah. So there's that, that's kind of how karate came around was just it was the answer to everything yeah and then right. i found out that yeah. it was not the answer to everything and then I, I think there's a life lesson there for everybody that's listening in the fact that what you think is your answer to everything may in fact not be an answer to anything right yeah i mean that's i mean i agree with that because from a i mean from my end from a baseball side it was something very similar i mean i never i mean i bottomed out in different ways um yeah. you know like like mental health stuff and it was just because like i had been defined by one thing for so long and then all of a sudden i was just like well i mean i was 26 i was you know i I had a, an MBA and I was just like, I need to do something more, but I don't know what that thing is because I've been playing baseball since I was eight. You know what I mean? So it was just something where now all of a sudden I have to try to figure it out. And honestly, up until I started doing this wasn't until I really like connected with like, I think who I actually am and just was like, here it is deal with it. If you like it, great. If you don't, that's okay. And I just, you know, leaned into who I feel like I truly am. Um, and, but I feel like that happens to a lot of people because they just do something for so long and it's life to them. And it's incredible how basically like, you know, uh, a few words said to you by somebody that you respect just totally throws you down the, you know, this rabbit hole that took you, like you said, I mean, 12 years to get out of, um, you know, and I'm sure something that you still, have to deal with, you know, even, you know, being sober for however long you've been sober for still having to deal with that, you know, going all the way back to that. Oh, most definitely. And Saul, if you're listening, thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Appreciate you sending me down that spiral. <laughs> yeah. What a guy. <laughs> no, no, I love Saul. It's not yeah. his fault. It's, um, you know, no, he's great. Yeah. But. So you mentioned earlier that at some point in this, you know, weaving of life, you find podcasting. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So you're going yeah. through your your uh, the the karate stuff. Um, you were worked in IT, right? Uh, like corporate IT. That's that's another interesting path because yeah. although yeah, I ended up in corporate IT. I, I ended up doing it from a training perspective. Okay. Um, I started working for this company. I worked for TI for a few years and ended up being a corporate trainer there. Left TI for this company because I wanted to get out of Sherman. I want to go down to the big city and live in Dallas and do Dallas things. Yeah. So I landed a job with this company on the outskirts of Dallas. And I really thought it was just going to be a springboard to downtown so I could get my loft and live my, you know, my, my, my big city dream. 
and this this springboard turned into a 21 year career with the same company. So uh, I ended up staying there. I went on as a training manager in their warehouse, implementing policies and procedures for forklift driving and pallet building and stacking and loading trucks and anything that has to do with distribution from a warehouse. I ended up implementing policies and procedures. And then they implemented a big software app, uh, software application globally through every one of their facilities. And I came in as a trainer for that. But because they were implementing software, it went from their IT department. So they moved me from distribution to IT. And here I am, somebody that really doesn't have much of an IT background <laughs> with uh, information systems professional on his business card, right? right. So, so that was always a fun little uh, balancing act there as well. Because, of course, everybody's asking me all these technical questions. And, man, I just know how to talk. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's really what it amounts to. I just I, I enjoy getting in front of a crowd and talking. So I, I'm I'm great when it comes to facilitating. I fit that role. That's who I am. But I, you know, I, I'm I don't really have a real technical background. Right. You but know, there so. you are doing that. I mean, yeah. How how life works, you know. So you're going through this process. You start that original comedy podcast with some friends. Um, right. One friend, a couple friends, one friend, one, one friend. friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then you try the, the more serious one. Right. And then eventually readily random comes, comes no, to readily random was number two. Oh, really? No, I've random only, was I've only done two. two. Yeah. Okay. No, well, okay. Now here's where you may be getting confused because yeah. just in folks, this is the, this is the roller coaster of podcasting and the roller coaster of finding your path. But yes, accidentally, the whole tip was the first podcast. I started it with Jamie Gravy, who I got to give a shout out. He just signed his first residency in Las Vegas. He opens for Eddie Griffin now for the next two years. Wow. So he tours with Eddie Griffin. He's crushing it. So congratulations, to Jamie Gravy. Y'all be on the lookout for his comedy specials. They'll be dropping soon. Um, but from there, I went to Readily Random and launched Readily Random because I wanted to do something to give back. I wanted to give something of value, as I had mentioned earlier. And just as late as last year, I did bring on one big win. Right. Yes, that's what I, yeah. That's what you were alluding to. So right. one big win, we kind of just sweep that one under the rug a little bit. Because <laughs> yeah. we, we had big plans for that one, but they, it, it was interesting because even after launch, I realized Readily Random still crushing it because I never stopped Readily Random. Right. So it was still, the, it was just crushing it as far as, in comparison to one big win. And I had a lot of big names on that podcast, man. I really thought I put it together right. But folks, even though you do everything right or you think you do everything right, you still may come up short, man. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened with one big win. So one big win ended up going away after about three months and we went back to going readily random full time. Right. And then, but I think that's uh, an important piece of it because I think I've heard you talk about before that you did not realize like the level of the brand that readily random had become. And that is correct. So how long did was, has readily random been a show? How many years? So about far? two and a half years now. So two and a half, two years. And a half years. So yeah. at what point did you start seeing, and this is just me as somebody that's been doing it for less than a year. Sure. Um, some, at what point did you start to see, and you know, other podcasters um, see it start to, accelerate in growth. Cause I think that that's something that I think when I'm in clubhouse rooms and I'm talking to newer podcasters than even myself, or, you know, like anybody that gets frustrated with the fact that they're not, you know, they don't start a show and they're Joe Rogan or they're whoever, oh, man. you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I think that, that that happens a lot. I mean, it happens to me too, when I have episodes that, you know, either they do really well or some episodes tank and I don't know why. You know, I was just like one of those things. Um, so I think that would be interesting to kind of hear is like, 
were you actively trying to build up a personal brand or was it something that you were just putting a lot of time and effort in and just having fun with? And then over time, it was something that kind of built into what it was. You know, it was actually a, a, a foundation in confusion because again, just wanting to change gears there, I thought, well, here's what I'll do to give back. Being that I'm sober, everybody wants to hear sober stories. So I'll interview the folks that have gone through something similar and they've recovered. And now here's their story after the fact. Uh, and so that's kind of how it started out. If you listen to the first few episodes, they're very focused on recovery and they're very focused on individuals that have gone through similar experiences. Um, but I also realized that, man, that's the same story over and over and over and over. And while that is part of my story, I did go through that. I'm not the recovery kind of guy that it defines him. Right. That was a moment in my life. And even when I went through recovery, I chose a path. There was two different paths that we could choose. One was called AA, as we're all familiar with. There's another one called SMART, which is self-management and recovery. I think it's techniques or training. And the difference between the two is, I mean, you've always, we've all seen in movies and in shows, those, those lifetime AAers that get there and they, they look forward to those meetings every week and they can come in there and relive that story. That's not what I want to do. So SMART has goals. Once you right. accomplish those goals, guess what? I don't call myself a recovering alcoholic. I'm not in recovery. I recovered. I haven't had a drink in over seven years. I haven't had a beer. No, I'm no alcohol. I've touched these precious little lips in over seven years. Okay. So I'm recovered, bro. I'm not hanging on. So that's kind of my gig. And I, as I realized that more and more, I was like, man, I can't do this with this podcast. It's just really not going to be what's working out for me. So it changed and I started just having fun. Well, it was readily random. And that name came from a blog that I had back in the MySpace days. I just liked the name. I thought, well, that's marketable. Little yeah. did I know how difficult that was going to be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I started having people on, like we mentioned Marty Ray. You got a Marty Ray hat on right now. Yeah. Love him. Great. Marty Ray was great enough to come on. I uh, had some actors from Ozark, uh, the Netflix series. Had one of their, the actors from that show come on. Uh, had the, an MIT professor come on who is the leading authority on origami. Okay, I like origami, guys. Don't I mean, uh, you know, there's none in the background, but I like folded paper as well. Don't judge me. So I thought that would be cool, you know. So I just had the most literally random selection of guests that were coming on, and I was just having conversations. Now, did I get a lot of traction doing that? No, not really, no. You know, the downloads were were meager, you know, uh, but I was having a good time, and I thought, you know what, I'm not putting a lot, a lot of pressure on this because even though I really wasn't in the groove, and even though I didn't really understand podcasting at the time, I knew that it was a process. I knew that it was going to take time. I knew that patience was so critical in building something of quality, of value. So I, I didn't have, I think in this instance, I didn't have these, these unrealistic expectations or these delusions of grandeur of right. Joe Rogan-esque type accomplishments. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people, they end up falling short there. You see it all the time because I know you, you host clubhouse rooms every day. I don't know if you do it on the weekends or not, but at least Monday through Friday, I know Monday you're there every day. Yep. And you see that, you hear these stories, uh, you know, how do I get all these listeners? How do I get these sponsors? How do I, they're all the same questions. Everybody has the same questions. And regrettably, many people end up stopping the process before they have an opportunity to really even get started. Yeah. Because they're going in with these unrealistic expectations. They're going in with these, these dilutions of, of Joe Rogan. And I didn't start seeing a lot of traction. I'm going to say 55 to 65 episodes in. 
And that was after I established really what I'm all about. I started seeing a shift. I started leaning towards that entrepreneurship. I started seeing that there were real, real opportunities with podcasting to make that transition from corporate America to be an entrepreneur. So I knew I needed to learn. And if I was learning, why can't everybody else learn too? Because I know they're going to want to, right? So we started buckling down. We started really looking towards entrepreneurs and looking for entrepreneurs to come on the show and share their story and share their tips and their techniques and what they've done over the years to find their success. And as I provided more consistent quality content, not readily random content, uh, I started seeing more consistent growth and a more consistent return on the time and the effort that I was investing in the show. Right. And my favorite, just as because you mentioned it, um, when people do come into whether it's a room that I'm hosting or a room that I'm just sitting and listening to, maybe it's one that you're doing. Um, I've had people come in my room before and say, like, you know, I get 10 to 12,000 downloads per episode. I'm really frustrated with the growth that I'm seeing. And I'm like, <laughs> could you tell me how you got to 10 to 12,000 downloads per episode? Because that would be great. You know, yeah, that'd be awesome. That share that with sweet. share yeah. that with the pros, please. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I'm up here <laughs> leading the discussion. Maybe you should be. Um, yeah. yeah. But um, so last year, right, you decided to get out of the corporate, uh, you know, rat race, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Word, yeah. And go out on your own. So because I, I mean, I do want to make sure we get to that because I know we're getting close to the, you know, time frame that we were I'm very popular people are in line very to talk popular. to me mike it's yeah. just one of those things sorry yeah. i wasted so, a lot of time talking about karate <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well the karate i mean that basically took up you know a good portion of your life so that was good that we huge uh, yeah it was massive it. in in yeah. the changes that were that came from it so right. yeah it's yeah it's huge so tell me like what kind of intestinal fortitude or just like goals did you have to break free from something that I would imagine, you know, like IT training type stuff seems relatively stable and it's a steady paycheck, I would assume, um, to go into something that is not and basically just put all your eggs in a basket where you're doing coaching stuff, you're podcasting, you're creating content. Um, so what was the, you know, the impetus behind that? It was really, it was the fact that I was in that rat race for so long that I never saw me being someplace for 21 years. And while, man, you know, it's a lot of the people there were like family, things do change. You know, acquisitions caused changes in management and caused shifts in culture and everything evolved. And as I, you know, I'm 48. A lot of people don't think I'm that old, but I am 48 years old. And I'm sitting there at 47 going, wow, I still got to do another 20 year bid before I can retire from this stuff, man. This is, you know, I've already served one sentence. Now I got to serve another or another 20. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So <clears throat> understanding what I had already seen in the podcasting space, understanding that there is real potential for real growth and real financial return on the time and effort invested in having a podcast and growing the podcast. It was something that motivated me to continue to take the steps forward necessary to position myself to do it. Now, I may have done it a little bit early, actually, you know, because when COVID hit back in March, I thought, here we go. Yep. Uh, I was I was going to leave next year. Now I'm probably stuck for another year or two before I'm ever going to make that transition. But I got really, really lucky in the fact that in the podcasting space, that opened up a ton of doors. Yeah. 
because where opportunities would have previously only existed for me to get on stage and be seen and grow my brand and get my own personal exposure, now I had all these virtual opportunities. And man, I just jumped on it like you wouldn't believe. Every opportunity that came up, yes, I'll speak, yes, I'll speak, I would love to speak, yes, please, can I speak? Where do I apply to speak? And I just hammered it out, man. And even before we started recording today, I had mentioned that, that, you know, up until a couple of months ago, even I was hearing stories of why is it, Larry, that wherever I go, you are there. And it was because I wanted to be there. I wanted yeah. to be out there. There is a, a, a true power in just showing up. And that's what I did last year was I showed up. I showed up everywhere that would allow me through the front doors virtually, of course. And that had such a tremendous impact and it allowed me to establish myself as an industry leader, as a thought leader in the space. And it allowed me to grow the podcast, grow the brand and do the things necessary to lay the foundation for a successful transition from a 21 year career with the same company to on January 5th of this year, start my first day as a real live entrepreneur. <laughs> so we should have like a sound effect like that. Dun, 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 yeah, yeah, something something. Like that. yeah. <laughs> right. Sorry. I mean, I got That's a okay. really rinky dink system over it's here. Right. So it's we don't right. have those <laughs> capabilities, but sorry. <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you that it wasn't just the things that I did with the show and did with the brand and did in that regard. But I mean, I made a lot of adjustments personally as well. You know, I, I like being just just blunt with people going, here's what I did, bro. Uh, you know, I took some sacrifices. I made some personal sacrifices to jump out there and make this transition. You know, we have one car in our house now. My wife, she still works for the same company. We met at the company, as a matter of fact, and she's still there. And she works from home only two days a week. So here I am. I took a freaking Uber to a dentist appointment the other day. You know how stupid I felt? You know, I'm sitting there in the chair going, we're going to wrap this up here pretty soon because I got to call my Uber to come get me. Dude, that's stupid. Okay. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> before I had the cat daddiest of cat daddy Jeeps. I, it was all custom. It was Kevlar coated and lifted and big ass 35 inch wheels. And I mean, everything was just as custom and as dope as it could possibly be. But it was also well over, I think it was like $853 a month for the payment. Yeah. That's before insurance. But I don't drive it because everything I do is where? It's right here. You and I are right here. We're in the office. Everything <laughs> behind yeah. me. This is my office. Yeah. So why do I need to be dropping four bills a month on a vehicle that's going to get used once every four to six weeks maybe? Yeah. Because I can't plan something when the wife is home too? So, you know, that's the other side of entrepreneurship that a lot of people, they either don't want to share with you or they won't share with you. Yeah. I don't care. You right. need to know what it takes in order to do this and do it right. Now we also have savings and I'm, I'm, you know, I saved for this transition. So we've got that money put aside. Now I definitely have clients and I definitely have my, my, my students and I'm still making money in a variety of different ways from the podcast. But let me tell you, I made a lot of financial adjustments and a lot of financial plans before I made that transition. And I think too, not to say that I'm doing it right, because that remains to be seen. We're only four months in, you know, five months in now. So whether I'm doing it right remains to be seen, as I just mentioned, but I think I took the steps necessary to plan it out as best as I possibly could. Right. And position myself in a way for success, if that success is to be had. Do you think that having... Uh, like making that transition to really focus on having entrepreneur focused type people on the podcast helped you kind of plan 
this, you know, way out, I guess, maybe like learning from what they're doing as you're talking to these people throughout these conversations that you're having. It was that something that you think was like a huge driver into what you wanted to do with this. Oh, massive, massive. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have had the courage, honestly, I probably would have quit. Right. Go figure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Larry's a quitter. That's the name of this episode, folks. <laughs> Larry Roberts, the quitter. <laughs> Larry Roberts, the quitter. Be inspired to quit too with Larry and you. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh my God. but, but no, I mean, honestly, they did. They uh, having those conversations, learning from those folks, having them share so freely on the podcast. You know, I think that's a testament to, to the power of podcasting is people are willing to come on and share their stories and give away, literally give away massive knowledge and massive insight into the ways that you can make these same transitions. And people like you, people like me, people like everybody at the PodMax family that we were both a part of. I mean, they're all there to give and provide value each and every day with each and every one of their shows. Right. So uh, it's it's massive. But yeah, those entrepreneurs taking their time to give to my show, massive influence. Oh, yeah. Massive influence. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to do one more question, closing segment, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, cool. So let's talk goals, because as an entrepreneur, I feel like you have to have some type of goal. So because this is still new, give us you know maybe a goal that you have for like the readily random Larry Roberts brand as a whole moving forward over the next year? You know, I, I would like to, over the next year, I would like to launch another show, uh, get more focused on the services and offerings that we have and just continue to grow. Readily random may not always be the podcast that's leading the charge for readily random media, right. but readily random media, that's my company. That's who I am. That is my brand readily random. So whether or not I'm wearing that, podcast readily random or wearing whether i'm wearing a different podcast at the time really isn't here nor there but seeing readily random grow seeing readily random expand and make more of an impact in the podcasting space tremendous yeah and another one of my major goals is to get on stages you know things are opening up again so uh there's going to be opportunities to speak but those opportunities are going to be more rare than we've seen over the last year because everybody's not going to be putting on events every month right so you, you, now you really got to set yourself apart from everybody else to get on those real life stages. And that's where I want to go. Yeah. Just got to actually just got on my first uh, PodFest stage last week with my Congratulations. five minute case study. Um, so appreciate that. But uh, yeah. but yeah, so there's one, my, there's my, one. Uh, ways to go, but we'll, we'll get we'll get there. That's um, where it starts, right? Right. Yeah. It's like how you eat an elephant. You got to eat the first bite. You can't eat the whole elephant all at once. It's that's a metaphor or something. Oh, okay. yeah. something like yeah. something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, let's move this into our closing segment, which we call under the spotlight because this is the morning spotlight. So the spotlighters, uh, which is what I call my listeners uh, have been listening to us talk for 40 minutes, 45 minutes, somewhere around there. Um, so they've heard us talk about a lot of different things. Um, your life, karate, um, you know, your struggles, just the entrepreneurship, everything, the podcasting. Um, so what is one thing that you want the spotlighters to walk away from this episode with? So you're under the spotlight. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to have to change gears and make sure that you understand where you're going 
and how you're going to get there. It may be a, you may end up taking the scenic route, which is the story of my life. Everywhere I get, I always take the scenic route. People are like, no, go this way, go this way. It's easier. And I'm like, no, it's not. You're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. They probably did. But the thing is, is just stay on point, man. Keep your goal in sight and stay with it. It can be very difficult. You will want to quit. I guarantee it, but you're never going to reach your goals if you do. So stay on path, stay on track and just continue after it, man. Perseverance is the key. Love it. Love it. Uh, we had uh, Priscilla Frederick Loomis, who's an Olympic high jumper on the show. And she talked about something similar where she would talk about how it's like a rerouting of the GPS. So like the destination, the goals are the same. It's just like whichever way you go and you like make a wrong turn. So you got to wait for the rerouting and then you finally get there. It's just however you get there, as long as you get there. Um, which I think is great. So um, if people that are listening and I can't imagine that they wouldn't want it uh, need more Larry, where can they get to get more Larry? Well, they can get more Larry at readilyrandom.com. And if you have a podcast or you want to start a podcast or you have a podcast and you need some coaching with that podcast, check me out at podcastboost.com. Reach out to me. Let's connect. Let's make friends and uh, we'll work together to get you where you want to be. Awesome. Love it. Um, and I will make sure that I put the morning spotlight.com and the email address, the morning spotlight at gmail.com like always in the show notes, as well as all of Larry's links. Um, Larry, again, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Um, they say, don't meet your heroes, but here we, here I am, you know, and, uh, listening to you talk and having this conversation has been tremendous as I expected it to be. So I appreciate you coming on with us today. Are we hugging again, Mike? We're Is hugging again. Oh, we started hugging. out with okay. one, oh. and now we're getting, we're closing out with one. I so. appreciate it, man. We'll, no, we'll, seriously, thank you so much, man. I, I love it. Thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, they mean the world to me. Again, to hear it from someone like yourself that just started listening to the podcast randomly, and to get this kind of feedback from you, it just means the absolute world. So thank you so very much. Having me here today. Again, terrific honor, and I, I appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. Of course, of course. And the Spotlighters, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Just a reminder that any views expressed in the morning spotlight are the views of the speaker and should not be construed to be the views of any other person, any employer, or any organization. Thank you. We'll see you next week.